Hello, Heal community. For the first time in nearly a year, I'm opening my practice back up to the general public. I'm actively looking for 10 new qualified clients committed to reversing their illness or health concerns and powerfully taking on their journey to heal. If you're interested in finding out more, go to my website and schedule a free 25-minute phone call. We will discuss what you're dealing with and be sure we are the best fit for each other. Remember, I specifically have expertise in autoimmunity, fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue, mold illnesses, hormones, and insomnia, but can treat much more. Looking forward to connecting with you. Welcome to Heal. On today's episode, Josh Rockwood, businessman turned farmer, gives us direct access how to source the best, healthiest local foods from the perspective only a man who raises the cattle himself can share. I'm your host, Dr. Sarah Marshall. I know I say this every single episode, but I really, 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 really mean it. I'm so excited about this episode. (laughs) This is why I do heal so that I can just hang out with the coolest, bestest people in the whole world and like talk about their lives and hear cool stories. Like it's really all for me. I'm glad other people get something out of it. But this episode, we have a dear, 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 dear friend of mine, Josh Rockwood of West Wind Acres Farm in upstate New York, outside of Albany. And I'm just stoked to have more of these conversations about connecting people to their local resources and dealing with the conversation of our broken food system in so many ways. And, you know, the more deep I get into naturopathic medicine with my clients and I'm like some of these cases I'm working on the hardest part is I can't get really awesome food into their body to even help them. Like we just have to know that there's going to be toxins. We have to deal with a certain amount of pesticides and herbicides. Like it's like takes so much for some people to be able to get themselves sourced, but I know there are good ways to get that food and you are an expert on the subject. At least I'm declaring you an expert. I don't know how you feel about that. We can go with that for now. (laughs) Let the audience decide. How about that? Yeah, exactly. Excellent. Cool. I'm thrilled to be here. This is something that we've been talking about for a while. So it's excellent to finally make it happen. Yeah, totally. So Josh, I want to dive in with why this is important to you. Like what's the origin story of the farm? Because your family background, your background was construction and you now own somewhere between 500 and 600 acres of this farm that has how many animals on it? So we're, we're actually leasing five, leasing, to, 600, sorry. Yeah. five to 600 acres. I wish I owned five to 600 totally. acres, not, yeah. not quite yet. We have approximately a hundred cows, about a hundred pigs and, uh, and some dogs, some horses. Uh, in the past, we've raised chickens. We're not quite sure if we're going to do chickens this year or not. It's been an interesting year for, for things like that. So you know, we just got started and got moving and just kept growing because there's such a need for what we're doing. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So tell me about like, what are, what's the origin story? Like how the heck did Mr. Josh Rockwood construction extraordinaire end up a farmer? So in my early to mid twenties, I had gone to my cardiologist. So I guess I should start a little bit, a little bit further back than that. My father passed away when I was 16 from a heart situation. He had what's called cardiomyopathy. We believe it was cardiomyopathy. It was never diagnosed, but based on 
the things that we know, we think that's what it was. So I took over the family construction business. I ran it into the ground because I didn't know what I was doing. Went to college, went to work for some other people. I eventually got into working for a really amazing remodeling company, somebody else. And while I was there, I went to the cardiologist and found out I had what was called Wolf Parkinson White Syndrome which was essentially an electrical leak in my heart where it was firing the right way and incorrectly, in correct order at the same time. Mm. Uh, and it was kind of similar to heart palpitations, so it didn't happen all the time. But when it happened, it was intense. Somewhere, somewhere between what I would think a heart attack would feel like and super bad heartburn. So mm. at, first, at first, I thought it was heartburn, but then it kept progressing. So over... Over the course of probably from the time I was 14 till I was 24, it took to figure out what I actually had. Yeah. So I would wear, I'd worn heart monitors for several days, uh, I think a week at one time straight. And it would, of course, never have an episode when I had the monitor on. Yeah, it's like taking a part of the mechanic. <laughs> yeah, as soon as the monitor comes off, I have an, an episode. But eventually we figured out what it was from my cardiologist just watching my EKGs for so many years. Um, after my father had passed away, we went to the cardiologist literally every single year. Last year's the first year since I was 16 that I didn't see my cardiologist. Yeah. Wow. I'm kind of have a clean bill of health at this point, but I still want to track it. You know, I have yeah, kids. Yeah. I want to stick around for a while. Yeah. You got three of them. Three awesome kids. Yes. We are blessed with three little monsters. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> love them dearly. Two of them are big enough to actually help on the farm. And then we have the, the baby who will be, he'll be a year next weekend, this weekend. So big array. So, so in the midst of all of that, I found out that there was a way to, to heal my heart, but we also found out that I had high cholesterol. And because of the, the family history, they wanted me to lower my cholesterol and they wanted to put me on statins. I was 24 at the time. Wow. Yeah. At this point in my life, I rarely took Advil, even if I had a bad headache, just because you know, my body can heal. There's no point of loading it up with chemicals. Um, yeah. Now, in hindsight, I'm glad that I made that decision because now we're finding out the statins lead to so many other potentially worse worse things. Yeah. But So I got the procedure. It took two, two times to get the procedure done. They actually go in through a vein in your leg and burn a hole in your heart. So the scar heals the hole. The first time it didn't work. The second time they they went a little bit extra just to make sure it did. And I actually um, was awake enough to feel it, but it was, it was a cool experience. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it was a cool experience, but awful scary at the, at the same time. Yeah. Uh, so I had to address the, the high cholesterol afterwards. And my mom handed me an article from Mother Earth News, which was uh, showing the, the benefits of pasture-raised eggs versus uh, store-bought eggs and how it's literally not even, I mean, other than they look the same, they're not the same food. The yeah. The vitamin count, the mineral count, the the cholesterol, the the fat content, everything. And the good cholesterol, you know, that it has is actually beneficial and healing for the body, which isn't something most people have no concept for, but that's actually the case. Exactly. And then, you know, when, when it's a pasture-raised egg, at least, mm -hmm. you know, eggs might be bad for you if you have high cholesterol, if you're buying them from the store. So it's, that was kind of the start of my brain saying, huh, food might change my health. And at that point, I was young. I did a lot of P 
pizza, a lot of fast food. Not, I don't think I did a overly did fast food, but I know pizza probably four or five times a week, fast food probably once or twice, restaurant yeah. food for the rest of it because you know I wasn't tied down. And at that point, I said, you know what? Let's just go out and buy some chickens. And because I couldn't find, I didn't know where to find good food, and I probably didn't spend enough time. I probably could have if I. You know, yeah, yeah. Put the put the effort in. So we went and bought a hundred chickens. You know, oh, so I, just started small then, did you? <laughs> yeah, just started small. And you know, Steph and I lived in a little suburb at the time. We didn't have enough space for that, so we ended up <laughs> we ended up bringing them over to my mom's, and we had them there for a couple of years. And my cholesterol started going down just literally by changing my diet. In six months, we dropped it a hundred points. Now, was it? It wasn't just the eggs. Did you do other was, things? I stopped eating pizza all the time. Yeah. I didn't stop. I didn't change my diet per se. I just got a little bit smarter with it. About what what foods you were eating, not so much exactly, you know, yeah. a specific followed specific diet. Cool. Right. So from there, I kind of found out, I saw what the health benefits were for me. And I started selling eggs and selling chicken meat locally. And it started to become a passion slowly. So I eventually, you know, from there, we just, kind of got a couple pigs, saw how that went, got a couple cows. And months later or years later, I think we're 12 years later, we have 600 acres and yeah, hundred cows. So, so chickens are the gateway animal. Chickens were the <laughs> gateway animal, which it's kind of funny because at this point we have maybe 10 chickens tops. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, we still get our eggs from our chickens, but that's, we're not, that's about it at this point. Yeah. Uh, awesome. So, that's how we got started. And there's a lot of other amazing stories in, <laughs> in the last 12 years. I can imagine. Uh, but, you know, the ability to help people change their lives through food is so powerful. Yeah. And there's, there's so much, there's so much to it, whether somebody needs to lose weight or somebody has problems with arthritis or uh, inflammatory disorders, autoimmune disorders. Like, I mean, it's really, I always start every conversation with health people about diet. And what's interesting, I can even notice for myself. So 12 years ago, you were starting a farm and I was starting my naturopathic practice that exact same year. And I was in Bozeman, Montana. And my best friend, Tanda Cook, who's also awesome naturopath. She's been on the podcast before. She and I went to practice together right out of med school and her passion had always been farming. And she actually recently has just moved to Tennessee and bought a small farm. I think it's around 50 acres, 40, 50 acres outside of Nashville. And I just saw a couple of pictures on Instagram. I can't even keep up with how many different animals she has. She's got sheep, ducks, dogs, cats, cows, horses. She's always been a horsewoman. You know, it's just, and her whole thing has really gotten into permaculture farming and she follows Joel Salatin and a lot of his practices and actually had Joel Salatin consult with her on her farm because the land was dead. And so restoring the soil and restoring the land and like working on that component of it. But she and I were linked arm in arm when we started our practice together. And I kind of remember like that young early career fever of my commitment to like eating local and where your food came from. And I was in a farming community in Bozeman, Montana. It was everywhere. Like, like our farmer's market was just loaded with local people 
And, you know, one of the things I want to talk to you about a bit here is like in New York, we have something called the public market and it runs year round two times a week, which is awesome that we have it. And actually downtown Rochester is a food desert. There isn't walkable, accessible, fresh food and vegetables in most areas of downtown Rochester. So the public market serves this amazing need. But like I was there a week and a half ago and there were mangoes and bananas. And I'm like, that is not growing in New York. And they don't tout themselves as a local farmer's market. That's not the point. The public market is literally to serve the people. And it's awesome because there's all kinds of foods you can get there. And there's most of them are local business owners for sure. But I watched myself get kind of conflicted. Like from back in the day, I used to be so adamant about local, 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 local. And I would even lecture and in my talks, I would talk about local over organic, like buy local, even if in the store you have industrialized organic. And there's part of me that still feels that way, except in the last 10 years, I have learned so much about the negativity and the major issues that come up with organophosphates and anything from conventional farming practices. And so here I was really excited to be back at the, at the market. And I'm like, I just moved here. I'm restocking my refrigerator and I'm looking at all these awesome foods and I don't know which ones. And I'm assuming anybody that was organic would have had a sign that's like plastering it to say that they're organic and pasture raised. And there wasn't very much of that. Now it was early. It's New York. We have other farmer's markets. I know that throughout the summer in June, July, August, we'll have tons of local food that's like actually organically raised on farms here. But I just watched myself like have this internal conflict where like I wanted to support the local businesses, but I also didn't want to put conventionally raised food in my body. And I was just like trapped. So do you have thoughts about that conundrum? I struggle with that as well. Even so I struggle with it because industrialized organic can be corrupt, I guess is the best word for it. Yeah. Uh, not too long ago, and I haven't reviewed this, so. That's okay. I say a lot of things on this, and I just put the disclaimer of, this might not be totally accurate, but it's something in this genre, and we'll see if Kendra can look it up. <laughs> Perfect. So a couple of years ago, one of the big dairies became, they got purchased out by a, a conglomerate. And shortly thereafter, the regulations for organic, for USDA organic, changed so that it doesn't necessarily say fed organic feed, it says fed organic feed when available. Yeah. So it doesn't say physically available or financially available. So if you're the CFO and organic feed costs twice as much to feed your cows, is it available if you have stockholders to, to yeah. answer to? And you know, I'm not necessarily saying that any farm is typically doing that, but now there's that loophole. So if they're a huge farm, they have shareholders, that's something I really want to know. So from there, I, I really think it's best to be local because you can at least talk to the farmer. You can know what they're putting on it. You mm -hmm. can even, most farmers will be honest and tell you how much they're putting on. So you can even, even study it. And then on the other side, chemicals are expensive. So a small farmer isn't going to be putting too much on. More likely they're going to be putting less than they're supposed to. That's a good point. Recommend. Yeah. That doesn't mean that there's some farmers that have a bad situation just pour on way more than they should. Right. Uh, I shouldn't even say should, recommended by the, com the chemical companies. Mm -hmm. I, I don't necessarily agree with most chemicals either. So our our vegetable farm that we use for our, for our family is actually 
uh, not organic because they're not certified because they didn't want to go that route because it's expensive. Yeah, the so certification process is a whole big thing. Yeah. Yes, and it's expensive. So if you're a small farm, it's between the expense, the time, and you know, it's a stack of papers that's two inches thick by the time you're done with the application. So our vegetable farmer will actually reach out to us if there's a situation where he feels he needs to spray. And then we get like, his clients get to vote on it, essentially. Wow. So if, you know, if there's a tomato worm and he's going to lose the whole crop, it's, hey, does everybody want to come out and pick out, pick tomato worms? Or you... <laughs> right. <laughs> or, you know, sometimes it might be, should, is it okay if we spray copper? Because copper is not testing, technically a pesticide. So he, he asks these things. He tries to use holistic ways when possible. And if ever, I actually don't think he's ever actually sprayed chemicals, but if it's ever going to happen, we know up ahead, we know ahead of time. Wow. How did you find him? How'd you go about that process? We actually met together at a, a, what was called a CSA fair. So they had a bunch of farms got together at a public library to bring in more customers to, to get exposure. And CSA so, is community supported ag agriculture. And that's a really great way for people to get connected, particularly during the summer months, mostly, or spring and some, some seasons go into spring and fall too. And I've had in Salt Lake, we had a winter CSA that was available. They had, they had winter crops too. Yeah. Uh, it's getting to the point where it can be a year round thing for, and for meat, it typically is a yeah. year round thing. There are a lot of meat farmers, protein farmers who do sell year round. So yeah. we have a, we have a 12 month CSA where you know, our customers can get 10, 20, 40 pounds of meat a month, you know, depending on what their family size is, what their diet yep. is. Yep. That's awesome. And then I know we've put these resources out before, but I'm just always going to say them over and over again. I found you guys on this is localharvest.org and eatwild.com are two organizational resources. Eat Wild is more predominantly protein based and local harvest is mostly farmers markets and CSAs vegetable, but you can have crossover between the two. And that's a way to actually look up in your local area to be able to start to it. And like one of the things I kind of ran into last week at the market and I noticed like I went with my mom, it was my first time back, you know, I've gone before, but like my first time now living here and I just wasn't, and it was Saturday morning and it's super busy and I wasn't really well set up to talk to the people at each kiosk. And that's my biggest take home. Like after we shopped and I got what I got, my mom and I sat and had a coffee at one of the little kiosks there and we talked about it. And I just really realized like, I just have to get over myself and be willing to strike up a conversation and ask the questions like, who are you guys and where do you source your stuff from? And because I was also making a lot of assumptions, I noticed like, oh, these guys have lemons and bananas and avocados, then they're clearly just getting from some market, but I don't know anything about it. Like, where are they getting it from? Or is some of their stuff from farms and then they supplement with other things, you know? And there, like I said, there's this great service that the public market of Rochester is doing to downtown Rochester. And I love supporting that and I love going, but you know, it's like, I don't, I don't know what my deal is. Like I'm a pretty outgoing person. I even ran a booth at a farmer's market for two years. Tanda and I would do a cooking show at the farmer's market and we would get farmers to donate their products to us. And then we would make up a bunch of recipes and we had little samples and we would give the samples out to people. And then they'd be like, okay, I want to buy the salad. And I'm like, no, 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 we're not a restaurant. We're doctors and we're here to educate. 
And so we would give them the, re the recipe card and send them out on their way and be like, you have to go buy it from that guy over there. He has all the product and then you have to go home and make it. And they're like, what are you doing here? You're not selling anything. But I mean, one, we got known in that community like that. Like it was an awesome way to connect with, you know, potential new patients and just be known as a part of the community. Turns out our cookbook, Food That Grows, came out of writing down all those recipes. And so we ended up producing a cookbook and selling that. And it's not made by chefs, but it's pretty dang good. And it's mostly paleo. And although I did recently discover, you know, we could have done a lot more testing on the recipes. The recipe testing was we would cook all the time and we were like, yeah, it's good. But the burger recipe calls for a table, a full teaspoon of salt. Don't put a full teaspoon of salt in the burgers. It's way too salty, <laughs> but mostly, you know, and, and so a lot came out of that, but it's like, I have to just be willing to like interrupt people and I noticed like out here in New York, like everybody back there, they're like wheeling and dealing and they're talking and they're not necessarily like, I'm like little Miss West Westerner who like wants everyone to be smiley and friendly with me. And I gotta be willing to like interrupt and like, hey, I wanna talk to you. I wanna know about your products. I wanna know what you're doing here. And what I do suspect is especially if it's a farmer or somebody connected to the farm, they want, they, I mean, it's their passion. They went out of their way to do this. So I would imagine those conversations will go pretty clearly of like, you know, being excited somebody's interested in what they do for a living. Yes, I think you made a lot of really good points there. So um, I just want to hit on the fact that you are giving so much value to your community without nothing, without anything in return. And then the universe came back and gave you a cookbook. Right, so isn't that you, cool? You're able to you know, yeah. capitalize on it, I guess uh -huh. is the best term. Yeah. Uh, so that that's awesome that you did that. So sitting down and talking to the farmers is definitely the best idea. You don't, I mean, and you're right, we all make assumptions all day long. It's basically what our brain does is make assumptions. Uh -huh. <laughs> uh, those, for all that we know, those lemons could have come from an organic farm in Mexico and they just got transferred up here on a train and delivered to you. But obviously we, we've got to ask those questions or, or it could be one of those farms, like I said, that's not organic, but they don't use anything on their stuff. So they're yeah. just not certified. Local Harvest and Eat Wild are great resources. Facebook is another great resource. You know, Good point. Go on Facebook, uh, find your community groups and say, hey, where, who's the best farm? Who's the best mm -hmm. farmer? And that's, that's awesome. Even like the, the garage sale sites are even a great place for things like that. And the other thing I'm starting to recognize too, so during the pandemic, my mom and I actually chose to shop at the public market on purpose because it was like outdoors, it was open air, it was freezing, it was like 32 degrees, we're like, sweet, you know, and there wasn't very many people which did allow some space to talk more to the people there. And there were several farmers that more in the protein because it, it was middle of winter, but they said they're not usually at the public market because they don't have time. They're servicing high-end restaurants and they're servicing their customers. And so now in today's world, distinct from even what I experienced 15 years ago in Montana, I think that the internet, Facebook sourcing, because you might have some of the best farms right underneath your nose and, and they're never going to show up at a market because that's time consuming and it may or may not move enough product. And like some of the people that I knew that were at the markets was literally just for exposure. They weren't going to make a profit off of that actual experience, but they were there to get the word out, to be public, to be seen. And some of the best farms are too busy. They're just like, I got to farm and sell product. And so they're not even there. So I recognize too that 
there probably are some great resources right underneath my nose that I just got to do a little more research to, to find here in Rochester. Yeah, that all makes a lot of sense. We actually stopped doing farmers markets because of that. You know, between you know, if it's a four-hour market, you're spending eight hours between setup and driving and getting back. And then you know anything that thaws, because we sell all of our meat frozen in New yeah. York, it's really, really hard to sell to sell at a farmer's market with fresh meat. The regulations are extremely strict. And so we decided to sell frozen. And if frozen meat gets thawed because it's been out too long, it's wasted. Well, it goes into my stomach, which doesn't pay our bills. Right, exactly. <laughs> uh, so yeah, that's, that is definitely a good point. And even with vegetable farmers, uh, they do really well at those farmer's markets. But if they get bigger, I know a lot that are just CSA only and you have to pick up at the farm. Yeah. Uh, especially in New York, that's one of the bigger things that I've seen. Yeah. So farmer's markets, go to your local farmer's markets. If you don't find somebody there, search the internet, search, talk to people. Restaurants are a great place to figure it out. You know, search local, local restaurants, or restaurants that are buying local food, uh, things like that. And, and you'll come up. There's also a, a bunch of other websites. If you just search local food, local grass-fed beef, local pasture-raised pork, local tomatoes you'll start to find those things very yeah. quickly yeah and then what I did find in Montana was like once I kind of cracked into the community it was a community and like what I loved was there was actually a really neat this was really old school I think it was a Yahoo email group like back when we had the like listserv groups <laughs> and it was called women of the dirt and it was this group of women farmers who and people interested in permaculture who all got together and there was like 50, 60 women. And so once we found them and got connected in, it was like 30 years of information. People had lived in Montana their whole lives and like all kinds of stuff that we were able to, one, get really good resources, but two, then we got this community. And that's the other part I wanted to talk about here is like, you know, we've gotten so disconnected from nature in so many ways. It's ludicrous to count them. And, and I, I literally think our disconnect from nature is in massive a part of the increase in health conditions that we've had. And there's all this like research now in immunology that like the best thing you can do for your kids if they're dealing with chronic ear infections as a little kid is get them an animal, have a dog around, have a cat around, get them out in the dirt. They, our bodies actually need to be exposed to antigens, to things that it's going to react to in order to keep our immune system healthy. And so it's not about the boy in the bubble and shielding our children from every single, we wanna get them out there and get dirt under their fingernails and get them exposed. It strengthens their immune system. And so there's that component, but it's like the relationships of being connected to the earth and being connected to nature and being connected to the cycle of life and being connected to the people involved in that. I swear to God, there's more nutrition and there's more life force energy when you, when I knew the person that raised the tomato and I'm eating that. I mean, your meat is in my freezer and I get so excited when I'm like, this is Josh's baby back ribs. This is from, you know, Josh and Steph's ground beef. It's like, there's this love that's instantly present that is even when I, and I, you know, Salt Lake City, I was in a bigger community, pretty much 90% of my food was organic. 70% of that, 75% was probably industrialized organic. And so, you know, and there's a whole nother thing about monoculture crops and how we treat the land and, 
you know, I have a lot of friends who've chosen vegetarian and, and veganism as a lifestyle. And there's a big part of that that has to do with taking care of the animals and also taking care of the planet. But I'm sorry, nobody has a get out of jail free card. Like we're wreaking havoc in industrialized farming, no matter what category it is. Now, is organic better? I really do think so for many reasons. It's kind of like buying the latest hybrid car. It may not solve our climate crisis, but you're putting your money to invest in technologies that's moving the conversation forward. And I do think that matters. But like my flipping triple washed organic spring mix from Costco is coming in a plastic clamshell that's going to take 15,000 years to break down in a landfill and the amount of water waste that goes into our ready to eat foods. And so that's another thing is one, eat local, two, eat food that has dirt on it. <laughs> like it's better for the environment and it's better for your immune system because all that water that we in our Western society gets away with using to wash our vegetables before they get to us so that you can buy, you know, get spinach right out of the box and not get sick. That's going to end up being, I mean, right now we're getting away with it, but in 30 years, it's going to be a huge conversation, maybe even in 20 years where we just can't waste that much good, clean drinking water on washing vegetables in that same way. I mean, I might be catastrophizing a little bit here, but it's like, it's just all these pieces. There's all these factors. I just learned a lot about the fishing industry and like a lot of my friends who are vegetarian will be like, yeah, I'm vegetarian, but I'll eat fish. But then it's like, it's just, there's just no corner of the earth in the way that we produce food that is immune to having to deal with a greater conversation. And so by shaking the hand of your farmer and knowing where your food comes from, you get to at least have a transparent conversation about what that reality actually is. Yeah. You just hit on so many great points. <laughs> like I have a tendency uh, to do that. So yeah. uh, Hunter, Arden, he's 11 now. He literally hasn't had a real sickness since he was like 18 months old. His last ear infection was when he was 18 months old. He got sick from the antibiotic and we were on vacation. So we researched homeopathic methods and found garlic oil. And he's never been on an antibiotic for his, an ear infection ever again. Actually, he's pulled his ears and stuff and we just put some oil on. Mm -hmm. uh, same thing with, you know, Romans eight, never had an ear infection. And then the baby, the baby's a year old. He's been to the doctor once, maybe twice. And he's perfectly healthy. You know, he's got a running nose right now. <laughs> he's but they're supposed stuff. to. And that's the thing yeah. is like, kids are supposed to do that. Like, they're supposed to get fevers. They're supposed to get runny noses. They're supposed to like their body's got to, it's exercise with the immune system. It's got to work all that out. So like, that's awesome. Yeah. And you know, Hunter's rarely, rarely sick. He's in the dirt. He's playing with pigs. He's driving the tractors. Yeah. Yes. All the, all the crazy <laughs> things that farm kids get to do. Yeah. And I, th I think there's a lot, a lot of that is why he's so healthy. Yeah. You know, he's getting the physical education. Well, he's getting physical education, but I, I went physical exercise. He's getting the good food. He's getting the sunshine, the fresh air, the dirt under his fingernails and all of those things. Mm -hmm. And then from there, there's something else that you hit on that I wanted to catch. I'm lost because there's so many different topics you went across. Well, I went into um, the vegetarian conversation and like not being able to escape, yeah. you know, there's impacts to all the food choices we make. Yes, they're definitely they're definitely you went into the community first though yeah. community that raises a really cool topic i mean we have social media we have internet and you have your farmers in utah there's a good chance that they're connected with somebody in your local area now 
So reaching back out to them and just saying, hey, who do you know? Or how can I find somebody that, I mean, you have me down the road three hours yeah. away, so yeah. I can also help with that. But for your listeners, you know, farmers talk a lot, especially. You find one, you can get connected to many of them. Yeah, exactly. And I'm going to disagree with the water thing with you. Okay, I good. Don't... I love when I get this because I learn stuff. I'm uh, like, I don't know. I'm on a rant. <laughs> we have an unlimited amount of water. It's, it's just a matter of how we treat the soil and how we treat the farms. Mm. And so if we increase one square foot of land to have 1% more organic matter, it's going to hold a gallon of water. So if you do that 1% add, added, so if you add 1% carbon, organic matter, to an acre, it's going to hold 43,000 more gallons of water. If we create crops that don't allow the ground to get hit by raindrops, so even if you have the short grass, the grass catches the raindrop, your water's not going to run away. Mm -hmm. So if we're grazing, if we're using cover crops, all of our topsoil is not going to end up in the valleys. And that's going to, you know, help our, our water cycle. Our water's going to be cleaner because it's going through the wool. The dirt slower. It's you know filtering down into the aquifers and and the reservoirs and things like that. Uh, I'm not saying that we shouldn't save water. We should definitely be conscious of that. Well, and, so and I think I think you're and I'm really glad you brought all this up because like there are farming practices that can dramatically alter our environment, the earth, the health of the food, the way that I mean. Are you familiar with the documentary Kiss the Ground that just came out recently? I have not watched it. I heard about okay. it. Okay. Well, you should definitely watch it. And I am going to paraphrase a little bit here. And I kind of can't believe I haven't brought this up sooner, but it's a soil specialist is kind of the predominant person at the cornerstone of the whole thing. And what they've discovered in research is that it was when we really started relying on the plow for our raising of our crops and how that plowing actually interrupts the innate cycles of the soil itself and the way that there's, you know, there's microorganisms and there's funguses and there's all kinds of properly designed way that the earth and the soil is supposed to be. And when we plow and we break all that up and we raise and expose everything to sunlight and air, it kills those natural protective microorganisms and deadens the soil. And then you get wind and you get drying and the wind and the drying and you lose your, your topsoil. And at least in this, in this the statistic that they talked about was that we actually probably have lost the majority of the American topsoil throughout the United States, not everywhere, but like as a whole, about 60 or 70 years ago. And that since then we've been, you know, supplementing through petrochemicals is the predominant way that we kept everything going after that. Cause you used to have to have topsoil to grow anything. You couldn't do it any other way. So there's a whole deal about other ways of farming. And what's really amazing is they've been going to these farm conventions in conventional farming societies and communities. And what they're actually showing is that by, and this is like so radical, it's a complete paradigm shift to actually be like, what do you mean we're not going to plow our fields like that? Tilling and plowing is like the cornerstone, but they've actually been able to show how it way reduces the amount of chemicals you have to use. It protects the plants and that you're getting higher yields and it's less work. Like literally it takes less work to farm it that way. And there was one farm that they highlighted in the movie that they expected in about, you know, initially the farmers were thinking, okay, 10, 20 years from now, we'll start to see the difference, but we're willing to invest our time to make it happen. In eight years, they, right next door to another farm that was conventionally tilling, 
had like a ridiculous increase in yield with less financial input because less chemicals means you're spending less money. And there was like a whole list of things that they actually showed. They actually started to see a difference the fourth year on the farm significantly. And by eight years, it was like total land recovery and they were in a completely different position, still making the same money and more working less. I mean, it was like nuts how it all laid out. And so there are things like that at the level of the farm that are making a huge difference. And what I'm talking about is at the level of how we take care of conventional food once it comes out of the ground. So not even watering the lettuce, it was the cleaning after the lettuce comes out of the ground. And then, you know, there's like a radiating of foods in trucks in order to actually keep them from having chemical issues in transport to get them to the stores. And there's the harvesting of vegetables and fruits way before they're ever ripe because we have to transport them to get them. So that's a whole nother component of eating local is farmers locally get to actually have the privilege to take the fruit and the vegetables off when they're ripe. And they have way increased protective chemicals and nutritional value and anti-cancer. And I mean, all the goodness that we get to get out of it. And then my, you know, I, this is a little soapboxy, but I just love this topic. And it's like so important. My clients come to me all the time and they're like, do I really have to take all these supplements? I'd love to say no, but I'm like, these minerals in particular are only going to get into your food if they're in the soil. So you can Google it. You can look it up and see how much magnesium is in Brazil nuts and how much, you know, zinc can you get out of certain types of fruits and vegetables and all of that. But you know where that information is coming from, from the nutritional database An analysis that happened on our foods in the 1950s. It's not that way anymore. They've never updated that. They're not constantly testing the average carrot in America to see what the nutritional level of vitamin A still is in it. And that nutrition is dependent on proper growing conditions, healthy soils with the nutrients already in. The carrot can't make magnesium and zinc. It has to pull it up from the ground. It has to already be in the soil. It gets put in the soil by the microorganisms and the breakdown of other plants and products. There's a whole process to that that we cut off at the knees in the 1960s and 1970s, and it's just progressed. So now I have clients, even if I can get them to source as much healthy food as possible, I just can't get the nutrition in them without the supplementation because of where we are now. And then we could go on about the health of the supplement industry. And then I'm like, oh man, but it's not to be doomsday about it all. There are ways to work around it, but that movie with Kiss the Ground was just awesome. And it was really inspiring. Like a lot of times those documentaries, you walk away sad and like, oh my God, we're screwed. But it was like, we can do something about this. And, and it had a big pitch about how the dust and the impact of tilling has impacted climate change as a whole and how farms and farmland using different practices could be a massive contributor to sequestering carbon and altering the direction of, you know, where we're headed with the climate. I 100% agree with that, that you can alter the, the climate through grazing, through how we farm. I mean, most of the earth is farmed. It's either forest or farms. We live on a small percentage of it at this time. There's a gentleman who I follow. He's a grazer, so he does grass-fed beef in in South Africa. His name's Ian Mitchell Ives, and he's actually healed the soil in South Africa to the point where he can run one third the cows that his neighbors can run 
I mean, I'm sorry. He needs one third the space. The space to run the same to run cows. His cows. Yeah. His his ground is doing so well that he actually had to lease some of it to his neighbors because he he has six thousand cows and it was not enough to to you know to keep the the, the grass eaten because it's yeah. growing so fast. So he's actually created a microclimate where the water stays in the soil longer. The nutrients are in the plants again because there's the the microorganisms microorganisms in the ground and the beef probably tastes way better too totally yeah i mean and it's it's like and you can see it in the micro level where i think in the movie they even talked about how the local like it was cooler they could feel it there locally it changed a a bunch of patterns and then it absolutely and it's like we get back to higher yields healthier food less money that the farmers have to put in i mean it literally i walked away with like okay, this seems like a no brainer. Now I know there's a lot of parts and pieces to that for sure. Anytime that there's significant change, it costs something to make those changes and different equipment needs and all of that. And then I don't know this, but I suspect you start to get into interesting challenges with legal requirements and the laws and what the laws say you, how you have to run your farm and how you have to do things that's antiquated and embedded in those old practices. I mean, we run into this into medicine where a legal institution and the insurance companies are determining what is considered the best medical practice and what's considered medically necessary. It doesn't have anything to do with the doctor sitting there with an education in front of a patient who actually has a problem. And how often on insurance claims and in other places, it literally is like, well, this is deemed medically unnecessary. And it's like, well, but... (laughs) Since where did Blue Cross and Blue Shield get to decide? I'm sorry, I'm picking on that insurance company. It's not necessarily them. That's just what came to mind. But any insurance company, you know, that'll frequently happen. And it can go all the way into the legal system where like, I know of doctors that have had their medical licenses on the line because of how they're choosing to actually use less pharmaceuticals in their patient population. They found a way to do it safely. Their patients are healthy and they are in the courts because of these practices, because it goes against what our standard thinking is. And I'm sure farmers have to deal with similar issues. If it, it's happening in the medical industry, I'm sure it's happening in the farming industry. Yeah, I don't know of any specific cases where that's actually happened where, but I'm sure that it is. Yeah. Um, when you start changing things, and it could be, you know, it, it could be on so many different levels. But a lot of times it's pressure from your peers, pressure from the neighbors. So you're you're not doing same, the same thing as your neighbor. So he pressures you. Joel Salatin talks about that a lot, how he always got pressure. Now, nobody can cut his fields because the grass is so thick. Mm-hmm. But I wanted to, to go back to the temperature. You said how the temperature is different and micro environments. And something that your entire listenership could actually do. Go out and, and touch the pavements. Feel how warm that is. Then go and and find somebody's short lawn. So somebody that cuts it real short, like a not necessarily like a golf green, but short. Yeah. Feel the temperature there, and then go where the grass is four to six inches tall, and put your hand in there. It's actually going to be cool. Uh, I shouldn't have said that. I should have made you do that. But uh-huh. you know, I get it. Go out and do that. So something that everybody could do that's going to affect that temperature is let your growth your your grass grow just a little bit longer. Go up one setting, and it's going to change. It's going to change the amount of moisture your soil holds, so you have to water it less. It's going to change how much uh, the, the actual temperature is. It's going to change the bug life. I know some people don't want bugs in their backyard, but that's what makes you it for healthy soil. You know, yes. I know. And, I, and I'm and i not a great gardener, 
I rely on people like you to do all of this stuff so that I can just reap the benefits and even in my yard. But I remember a conversation with my, one of my yard guys who said, well, it wasn't all the time, but at certain times a year, they would cut the grass really short because it prevents fungal issues, you know, later on. And like, I get that, but it's palliative. That's like not dealing with the whole system. You know, it's like, okay, but wait, let's look at that. And, and like, I'm going to now speak about a subject I know nothing about and do that thing where I say stuff that I'm not really sure how grounded it is, but I am of the thought, like I've got a bunch of mushrooms that pop up in my lawn here in New York. Now, New York's a lot wetter for sure, but I had mushrooms even in my lawn in, in Salt Lake city. And it may not be that I've got the perfect environment because I haven't put all the pieces together yet to take care of it. But in my general thinking is if the soil is got some micro climate happening so that I can have that, like there's, it's like, I want to be pushing the diversity. I want to have more of that, which was one of the things I ran into in Salt Lake around my lawn even was like, I have a lawn because that's what the house is supposed to have. And that's what everybody expects. And I'm not actually a big fan of lawns in places where they're not native, but it's also was like, I'm going to sell the house. And when I sell the house, this is what people expect. And so like, I got caught in that like expectations trap. And one of the things I like about being in New York and now grass grows here like crazy, but it's not Kentucky bluegrass the way that a lot of what, you know, so I'm excited to be here in this new place so I can start to let the land decide and I can work more with the property here and I want it to be food producing. I don't know that I'll have pigs, but I'll probably have my own chickens. And, you know, I'm only on three quarters of an acre, but I can do a lot with three quarters of an acre and, you know, start to actually... And it's not even like I'm going to end up getting that big of a percentage of my food off of my own land. I just don't have that particular bug. I'd rather go support my farmers and let you guys do it. But I want to be in an example. I want people to come and be like, oh my gosh, this came off of your apple trees and this came from here. And like, you know, I do have, I have wild raspberries that are just along the edge that I can imagine for a lot of people are like, oh my God, what a pain you have all of these, you know spiny raspberry but i'm excited to see what fruit comes in and go out there and make some jam yeah that's you have little little treats whenever you get hungry too yeah exactly if i can get them out of my dog so i have had golden retrievers a lot and i don't know what they, they have a thing for raspberries and blackberries and he will like work his way in between all those stuff and his little he looks like a little bear and he picks the berries right off from in between wow. the thorns and so if i'm not like on top of it from about three feet down henry's cleared him out so i gotta <laughs> get in there before the birds and before henry but oh my gosh well thank you josh for coming and having this conversation it's something i'm wickedly passionate about and i want to keep moving the conversation opening up and i feel like in this episode, we were able to give people a lot of actions to take to connect to good food in their local area and support their local farmers and build that community and those relationships. Pleasure to be here. I'm, full, I'm glad we finally were able to do this. Me too. Totally. And so you can be found where? Westwind Acres. Do you have a website? Are you on Facebook? I'm on Facebook. We're on Instagram. And we do have a West website, westwindacres.grazecart.com. Cool. Where you can follow us on social. We talk about our farm. We show what we're doing. And then our website uh, shows what we can sell locally. We do sell mostly in the capital district of New York, but the Hudson Valley corridor and the Mohawk River corridor. And we do ship regionally. So we yeah. ship. Yeah. Uh, the Northeast is where we're trying to stick with that. We can go a little further from time yeah, to time. Totally. And that's it. You know, I mean, like, 
I love there are certain companies out there like that allow people to get access to some good healthy food in the kind of ship to you range. I'm again things like Blue Apron or Butcher Box or stuff like that. I mean, it's there are companies out there, and I like the level that it's increasing awareness and it's increasing some level of convenience to get access to healthier foods as people are coming away from processed foods. It's great. Like each thing is on a step and like. I used to talk about it, like moving people across the rainbow from conventional standard American diet world, where we just eat out all the time and we eat standing up and we never sit down at a table. And most of our food is processed or came from some processed system, but don't stop halfway across the rainbow. Keep working your way forward. Like those things are great opportunities on your way, but like I've got a freezer and I'm going to fill it with a whole bunch of West Wind Acres meat. I'm so excited to drive over and see the farm and bring my cooler and bring it all back with me. And, you know, and then joining a CSA locally and getting connected to that, like that is when I finally, like my, my internal soul energy relaxes when I finally get that level of integrity in to the food I'm putting into my body. I just like, it's a big sigh of relief. So thanks for contributing that and being a proponent of eating local in the community and holy crappers, like doing what it takes to run the farm. Thank you. Thank you. We're going to keep after it and such an honor to be here today. Cool. Until we get to do it again. Interested in supporting the production of Heal Directly? We're looking for people interested in joining our team to expand our reach and build the Heal Academy platform. If you have expertise in online marketing, platform software, or podcast audience expansion, contact us directly on my website. Thank you to today's guest, Josh Rockwood, for your passion and love of good food. For a full transcript and all the resources for today's show, visit sarahmarshallnd.com backslash podcast. And as always, a special thanks to our music composer, Roddy Nickpour, and our kick-ass editor, Kendra Vicken. Thank you for being here. We'll see you next time.